From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. At a high level, this case, which is one of two big cases right now that the DOJ has going on against Google, is really about defaults and the power of defaults. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The Department of Justice and a coalition of state attorney generals claim that Google unfairly cuts off rivals from equally accessing the online search market. Fresh off a stint with the Federal Trade Commission, John Newman explains. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, John. Welcome back. Good morning. It's great to be back. So the government claims that Google has bought an unfair advantage by setting up its search engine to default to Google. Is that a fair description? Uh, I think that's a fair description. Yeah. At a high level, this case, which is one of two big cases right now that the DOJ has going on against Google, is really about defaults and the power of defaults. And, you know, I think we've all probably experienced this in our everyday life. But defaults can be uh, uh, really influential over our decision making. And that's even more true. People have found in a digital setting. So for whatever reason, when we're using digital products, we oftentimes just stick with the default. And Google has documents have shown during this trial internally realized that, yeah, defaults are really important for what search engine people use. And Google has actually gone out and paid, you know, ostensible competitors like Apple some $26 billion to be that default to keep Google's position. But didn't Google make this same claim against Microsoft back in 2005? They did. And some of the most interesting documents to come out in this trial actually involve Google complaining to Microsoft about some of the things that kind of sounds like Google has done subsequently. So it's tough to remember now because this is almost 20 years ago. But at one point, Google kind of was the young upstart on the block. And Microsoft was the established dominant tech company. And Google got really upset, apparently, it seems like, from the documents that have that have surfaced during this trial. When Google found out that Microsoft was thinking about making its own search engine Bing, the default in Internet Explorer, which at the time, you know, Internet Explorer was, was really widely used. I think it had something like a 70 or 80 percent market share among browsers. And Google got upset about that because, uh, at least according to these documents, Google was worried that the powerful incumbent of the day, Microsoft, could squeeze out the young upstart by using its its established position and cementing people's um, starting point, right? The search is kind of the starting point for using the internet. Learned at the father's feet, huh? (laughs) That's exactly right. The CEO took the stand this week. Were there any surprises there? Um, You know, I wasn't in the courtroom Uh, from reporting. I don't think there are a ton of surprises, really. CEOs are usually usually CEOs got where they are because they're very smooth. They're very polished. They're very prepared for every meeting, every big speech. And in this case, every time they take the stand. And I think that seemed like the general consensus was that um, Sundar was was highly polished, highly prepped. you know, you've probably seen him if you're out there in the in the Twitterverse or listening to this. You've probably seen him talk before and and he he's kind of soft spoken. I think he tends to come across as uh, thoughtful. Um, you know, he's not one of these sort of wild eyed young tech revolutionaries. 
Oh, Sam. <laughs> Not naming any names. Right. <laughs> but I, I think that's the way he, he was coached to present himself. And I think that's generally the way he presented himself. That said, some of the documents that we've seen, I think, do some real damage to his credibility. So, you know, he would say things like, oh, you know, we weren't really that cozy with Apple. And then a document would emerge where, you know, internally Google top executives are talking about behaving as if they're literally one company with Apple. Mm -hmm. That's how close they viewed the relationship. So, you know, I think there's there's kind of two different versions of his testimony. One is what you hear if you're sitting in the courtroom. And the other is what you you glean when you compare the contemporaneous documents, mm -hmm. the evidence with what he's saying. And I do think that his credibility took a bit of a hit when the judge was looking at those actual documents. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So how's the Google case different or or the same as the case you filed on behalf of the FTC versus Amazon? So the Google search case, um, I think is there's some similarities, right, between that and FTC v. Amazon. They're both big monopolization cases in the kind of big monopoly case tradition. And that's a tradition that really in the U.S. we moved away from since at least the U.S. v. Microsoft case back in the late 90s. So there's a two decade gap where you didn't really see big monopoly cases being brought. And now you've got a couple um, going on right now. The Google case is really this one. The Google search case really is about the power of defaults. And, you know, there's a little bit of a similarity between that and some of the conduct that the FTC alleges, uh, especially the conduct involving Amazon's buy box. So Amazon's response will probably be, oh, the buy box, which is where the the top offer pops up when you're shopping on Amazon, right. isn't the only way people could possibly reach uh, sellers. They could click through, you know, multiple screens and eventually reach alternative sellers. You'll see probably some of the same arguments coming out of Google. They'll say, oh, you know, Android, Chrome, these aren't the only ways people access search. They could go through alternative channels. So you see some similarities there. On the other hand, I think there are some key differences. One of them is that the FTC v. Amazon case it's really a, a kitchen table case. It's a pocketbook case. You know, the allegations there are that Amazon's conduct is raising prices for hundreds of thousands of small business sellers and for tens of millions of American shoppers. There's a real tangible, quantifiable um, harms going on there. And uh, in the Google search case, you're seeing harms that are more like harm to innovation. You know, these are zero price markets, right? So there aren't obvious prices. So I think the harms are a little bit different as between the two. Mm -hmm. Do you see this changing the face of antitrust laws going forward or kind of what'll, what'll come out of, of these trials? I also heard of one this morning about college athletes, which I thought was like antitrust. What? <laughs> yeah. So. I'd say there are at least three big, big antitrust cases going on right now that will have a lasting impact. Those are the DOJ's Google search case, which we're talking about right now. That's in trial as we speak. Uh, another one is the DOJ's ad tech Google case. And that one, I think, even more so than the Google search case, is really focused on a structural breakup of Google's ad technology monopolies. Um, and then I think the FTC v. Amazon case is the other really big monopoly case going on right now. All of these cases are ones in which I wouldn't be surprised if the government asks for breakups, even the Google search case. 
and all of them are, are high profile cases that affect millions and millions of people. So we'll see what these judges do. You know, there's going to be two questions in all of them. Did the companies break the law? And then two, what's the remedy? And again, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the government does ask for structural breakups in all of them. It remains to be seen what will happen there. Those, those remedies haven't been granted a lot of times in the past. But when they have, like the breakup of AT&T, they can have huge, huge ripple effects. All right. This is post robber bear or railroad barons. Isn't that kind of the first <laughs> big antitrust stuff was railroads back in, I don't know when, yeah. a long, long time ago? That's exactly right. Everything old is new again. You know, I think I think people are looking around and seeing what some call a new gilded age. We haven't seen these levels of corporate concentration, consolidation of power in, I would say, over 100 years. And so you're seeing people look around. What tools do we have to combat this? And I trust maybe one of them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Anything in closing? You know, I, I really am thrilled to see the government stepping up to the plate again and bringing these big cases. And it's exciting that... Uh, Normal people, everyday people care about antitrust, my field, in a way that hasn't been true in the past. So it's really an exciting time to be involved in this field. Or sitting at the kitchen table or looking in your pocketbook. Exactly. Thanks so much for coming in. All right. Thanks for having me. See you around. Thanks for joining us for this season of The Explainer and a whole new season of Explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. This week's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's 18 areas of study, from maritime to estate planning to entertainment to business. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu.